Welcome to the Sawyer Highlands and Converge Community Church Sermon Podcast. This is Season 2 with a brand new series on the book of Daniel. Each week we will upload the sermon that was preached during the Sunday morning service at our New Buffalo campus in hopes that it will serve you well during the week. So sit back, relax, and may you be encouraged by the great hope you have in Jesus Christ as you listen to the preaching of God's Word. It's a privilege to share with you God's Word. Okay, I got something here. Quiz. There's a, there's a breeze in here. What is this supposed to be? A lighter, and it has light, right? It's supposed to, there's, there's a flame, right? So have you ever heard the saying, uh, put a uh, light a fire under him, maybe at work? I looked it up, like, where did that come from? And there used to be these chimney sweeps that were taking their old time, you know, climbing up the chimney. And so they said, light a fire under that thing. And man, he starts moving. He's motivated. Um, so, you know, I, I thought, oh, that's interesting. That's a motivating. That would be motivating. Uh, when I, I did like, my first sermon way back in my t- early 20s, I was teaching a confirmation class. And, uh, and this old guy came up to me and said, people respond to the carrot more than the stick. He's something like that. And maybe you've heard that before. There, there's rewards and there's, there's punishments. Or, and, and, and just trying to be positive and, and sharing a motivating thing that's positive. So it's a, you know, a, a bunny will run after the, in a bunny race, they run after the carrot, um, maybe better than a, a stick beating at them. Um, here we're going to talk today a little bit about motivation. What motivates us? You know, what motivates you? Uh, sometimes it's those, that fear, you know, I don't, wanna, I don't want that consequence. Uh, for me, I love getting outside in this weather. I love exercising. I love uh, uh, the thought of adventure, you know, like, oh, yeah, let's go on an adventure with my kids. What motivates you? You know, I love learning. Uh, there's some motivations that might be a little bit more noble than others. Um, what does God what does God want for us? What does, he, what does he want for us in motivation? What kind of motivation is, does he give us? There's various ones. Well, I want to look at one specifically, or what motivates uh, us in a certain way in, in regards to missions. And in regards to maybe Paul, if you look at Paul, his life was dedicated to sharing the message of the cross, the message of the gospel. What motivated him? And I think by looking at his motivation, we might find a, a really awesome motivation for us as well. This month is Missions Month. That's kind of why we're talking about this. That first message, I think, uh, was Joe. It's kind of like a pre-missions message. The message of the cross. The cross is the message. And then we had David Sunday, who's uh, the president of Word Partners. Uh, Jeff works with, with them part-time. And he shared with us the, 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 the cross is the magnet. It magnetizes us. It changes us. And uh, last week, uh, Pastor Mike shared with us uh, the, the cross is the means. We're talking about the cross. It's, it's exclusive. Someone was saying it's pretty, it's pretty offensive in some ways. It's pretty radical, definitely. Um, and today we're going to talk about the cross as motivation. May's Mission Month, so we have the different speakers coming in, and we, we dedicate this time, and we kind of fix, fix our, our themes around missions. What's God doing here in Southwest Michigan, in northern Indiana? What's he doing around the world? How can we be a part of it? Together, we are able to do more than a part. A few weeks back, we enjoyed Easter. And we see the cross, we see the resurrection, and we're going back to the cross today. 
Um, and it's more than just an ancient tool of death, the locus of Jesus's uh, work. At the cross, we see our spiritual debts are canceled. You think you might have a debt? We have a huge spiritual debt. Boom, it's canceled. It's gone at the cross. Our sin is forgiven at the cross. Our souls are ransomed by the cross. We are saved by the cross. And the cross demonstrates God's love for us. The cross is, is the pinnacle. It's the pinnacle of Jesus' affection, his love for you. And accomplishing all that and much, much more. The cross, it signified and motivated Paul, and it, it should motivate us as well. And what we th- when we think about missions and how we follow Jesus, it, it should drive us as, as something that calls us and something that is good and sweet. This morning, I, I picked one of my favorite verses about uh, that motivation of Paul. We find it in Philippians. So if you have a Bible, we'll be turning to Philippians chapter 3. And I'm going to have kind of the context. I'm going to have Ed Brainus come up here, 3, 2 through 11. We had this tradition at, at Sawyer, just in honor of God's word, to stand. So would you stand with me in honor of God's word? And I'm going to have you read for us. Good morning. Good morning. Is that on? This is a, this is a, there we go. This is a letter from uh, Paul's, this is from Paul's letter to the, Paul's letter to the uh, Philippians, chapter 2, chapter 3, actually. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Jesus Christ and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrew, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Thanks, Ed, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. It is light and life. We pray that the thoughts of our hearts um, may be pleasing to you. You are our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So I'm going to dig into this context, kind of go verse by verse, draw out some structure here. Um, To give you some background, the Apostle Paul wrote the letter to the Philippians to a church that was now uh, Greece. We know it as northeastern Greece. It's a city called Philippi. Paul planted this church. We first read about it in Acts chapter 16. It's a leading Roman city in the region of Macedonia. And I got a picture here. Did that show up? Right there. So look at that red X. I put that red X on there. That's where Philippi is. To give you some perspective, Greece is, is southwest of that X, and you have Turkey on its right there. Paul went there with Silas to share the gospel, to share the message of the gospel. 
And he is met by a slave girl. This girl is owned, and she has a, a special power. She has the ability to divinate. And she's, she's got the spirit of divination and owned by these slave traders or slave owners. And she follows them around, and she says this. We can read this in Acts chapter 16. She says this, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Now that is true. And she keeps saying it again and again and again. It, it, it's kind of bothersome. Why is it bothersome? I think it'd be like having that bad guy, whoever the bad guy is, promoting you. It really doesn't represent who you are. And it's, it's bothering Paul. So what does he do? He says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to cast out the demon from her. She's possessed. And he casts out the demon, and all of a sudden, her power, this power to divinate, to see things that other people don't see or say things that people don't know, is gone. There's a dramatic change, so much so that the owners of her are incredibly furious at Paul and Silas. They are so upset. They drag them to the marketplace, to the center of this, this civilization, this little community, and they get the leadership, uh, you know, the magistrates, they call them, so the mayor or whoever the, the officials in, involved, and they make this proclamation in chapter 16. These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us Romans to accept and practice. The city leadership sides with these slave owners. They have Paul and Silas stripped naked, beaten with rods, and thrown into prison for the night. There, they spend the evening singing to each other praise songs from the book of Psalms in our Bibles. And at the night, in the middle of the night, God supernaturally rocks this place with an earthquake, cracks open their cell, and they are free to go. And the jailer sees this, and knowing the consequences of having his prisoners escape, is about to commit suicide. But Paul and Silas haven't left. He doesn't know it. I imagine it's dark. You know, we don't have, we have these lights out here in the, in the night and city lights. They don't have that same thing. There's an earthquake. It's dark. And he's about to commit suicide. Paul sees this and stops him. Stop it. And he does. And he starts sharing with him the message of the gospel. And they go back to this guy's home and he shares the message of the gospel. The whole household comes to faith. They all come to faith. They baptize him there. And then the next day, the magistrates, these, these Roman officials, these officials from Philippi come and meet him, and they hear that Paul is a Roman citizen. They don't want to have anything to do with him. This rabble-rouser who's disrupted this trade, this slave trade that's working, and this business, and they just say, get out of the city. In so, so are many words. Leave, and Paul complies and leaves and goes on and shares the message all over the Mediterranean area, planting churches, encouraging believers. I gotta find where I am. Okay, time pass. He travels to Jerusalem, and then what happens? There's like years pass. <laughs> They're upset with him again. He's sharing the gospel, and they throw him in prison. He's in prison for years, and he's, they transfer him from one place to another. Meanwhile, the, in Philippi, the church has grown. They, they can't eradicate the church, and they hear about Paul's plight. And so they send him financial help that will help him in prison. They don't, their prisons aren't like our prisons. And they send him some help financially. They send a, a messenger, and they say, could you bring Timothy back with us? He's like, I can't do that. 
But he sends him this letter that we read. And this letter is just a great letter, by the way. I love Philippians. It's a book of joy. And here's, here's a couple of quotes. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And get this one, Philippians 1, 21. For me to live as Christ and to die is gain. Paul's writing this from prison now. Remember, he's transferred. He's probably in, the, in prison in Rome where he'll die for his faith. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 4, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let, let each of you look not only to your own interest, to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. And Philippians 4, 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is a manual for joy for those following Jesus in a path of suffering. How do we follow Jesus? What's the motivation that keeps us going when the going gets tough? Or how, do we, how do we deal with persecution or, or difficulties and trials and, and keep the faith? Let's take a look at chapter 3 a little more closely. In this passage, Paul wants the church, verses 2 through 11, he wants the church to look out for false teachers. The false teachers were relying on religion and their ancestry, not a relationship with Jesus. They promoted obedience to the Old Testament as what makes God happy, not faith in Jesus. In, in the verses we read, we can see four sections. Or I break it down four sections, and I, we'll walk through them. Um, they sound a bit like Galatians, honestly. Two through three, verses two and three, Paul warns about false teachers who bank on this religious identity. In verses 4 through 6, Paul wrote he was a prime example. He, he himself was a prime example of, of religiosity. He followed the rules. Verses 7 through 9, Paul says, well, all that example that he is, as exemplary as he is, that's worthless in comparison. In verses 10 through 11, he contrasts God's work compared to his own is priceless. Verses 2 and 3 of chapter 3. We read about these false teachers, and like the Galatian uh, false teachers or these Antiochian false teachers, they're trying to convince people that God is happy with you if you jump through a religious hoop. If you follow my religious system, God's going to be happy with you. Just follow this simple system, and you'll, you'll have it all made. According to these Judaizers, that meant every male needed to be circumcised. Paul's going to talk a little bit about that in, the next, in Galatians, actually. Um, Paul hated this teaching. He called those promoting them dogs. So for you cat lovers, you're like, yeah. <laughs> They're scavengers. They're prey, they prey on the weak. They're distorting the gospel. They're wolves among sheep. I imagine that they would be encouraging people to, to do work harder, strive, jump through this hoop, follow me. They were not teaching the message of the gospel. They were teaching that if you work to earn God's favor. What's the alternative? Well, Pastor Joe, I think, did a nice job sharing with us the message of the cross. We try to bring it up every, every week. We sing about it. Jesus did what people could not do. He died to forgive our sins at the cross. He forgives us and loves us to death. Paul believed this message so much, he gave his life to communicate it. He ended up dying a martyr for this message, for this mission. In verses 4 through 6, Paul wrote that he would be a prime candidate to be righteous. If, if it was based on how good you are or your ancestry, he would be a good example. 
He was a superstar among the Jews. He studied the ancient, under the eminent scholar Gamaliel, the Bible says. He followed the Torah to a T. If there was a, a, an award to be like the valedictorian or the straight-A student in Jewish Torah school, he would have gotten it. He was so passionate about his Judaism. He was so passionate about what he believed that he went on the rampage to eradicate Christianity. The chief leaders in Jerusalem gave him permission to arrest believers like you, to put them in prison. He had, a, he had the, the, the oversight of the first martyrdom. In Acts chapter 9, Paul's headed to Damascus to do just this. And then at that point, that God intervenes and interrupts his life by the power of the Spirit to change him, to put him on a different track, a different trajectory. And he becomes a missionary to the non-Jewish people or the Gentiles people to tell them this wonderful message that God loves them, not based on what they do, but based on what Jesus did. And Paul will invest time in his Bible, which is the Old Testament, by studying what does it say. And he will spend time praying, and then he will spend his energy seeking to serve Jesus wherever God brings him. Let's look at Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. He's going to contrast this wonderful resume that he has with what God has done. But whatever gain I have, I count it as a loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I suffer the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. So when I'm looking at this, I see a word repeated. Do you see the word repeated in here? The word count it's mentioned three times, and it gets stronger each time. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. Not only that, he counts everything as a loss. Not only that, I counted it all as rubbish. The word for rubbish, and maybe you've heard this before, is the word for garbage and trash, litter, dung, the mess on the side of the road. And so that means he saw his education as dung, he saw his ethical behavior, his track record of morality as garbage, his national identity and Roman Jewishness as trash, his family connections as litter, his promotions and achievement as rubbish. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Now, he's not saying that the Old Testament was just junk, we should throw it out, or that morality is bunk, or, you know, nationality education is inherently bad, worthless, but he's making a comparison here. He's saying it's trash compared to Jesus. He is so much more greater, so much more glorious, so much more valuable than that. That won't save. He does. What motivates him? What do we see in this passage that tells us is motivating him to wake up in the morning when things aren't good anymore? When his expectations aren't met? He wants to gain Christ. Again and again and again, he is attacked. But look at verse 9. For his sake, Jesus' sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Why? Why does he count them as rubbish? in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. He wants to gain Christ. He committed his life to gain Christ. Christ was so much to him, more than education, nationality, family, and accolades. What does he mean? 
it, well, it relates to being found in him. What does that mean? What does it mean to be found in Christ? It's a phrase we see in Ephesians quite a bit, to be in Christ. I think, I think of it, uh, we're in a building. It surrounds us. We are in it. It envelops us. Where are you at? I'm at church. I'm at there. I'm, uh, I'm in relation to it. It encompasses me. What's Paul getting at? He wants to be in Christ. I think it means identifying with him, where he's at, who he's with, what he's about. Let's keep reading to, to kind of par- parse out what's going on here. Verse 9, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. So he's connecting this connection with Jesus with righteousness and using a, a, you know, the contrast, the negative. It's, it's not based on all my religious hoops I can jump through or have done in the past. It's based on my connection to Jesus that I find righteousness. That's where my standing is with God. To be found in Jesus was to have a right position before God. Paul's not saved by his effort, his moral gumption, his strength. Being religious didn't save him. Didn't save anybody. It's in relationship to Jesus. How does one become righteous in Christ? Well, let's keep reading. Chapter 3, verse 9. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, belief, trust. You catch that? His righteousness, his rightness with the Creator is based on believing. Faith in what? Faith in Jesus. What does that mean? We're saved through faith in Jesus' substitutionary death on our behalf. I, I read Mike's message last week. It was excellent. How is Jesus the way? Why is he the way? If you didn't hear Mike's message, go back on YouTube, listen to it. It was wonderful. Um, we are hidden in Jesus, and God sees us right with him relationally when that's the case, when we trust in him. His blood covers our sin through faith. He takes his body takes our punishment through faith. He suffered God's anger, so we never have to. That's good news. The message of the Bible, and this is the message of the Bible, this is the message that missionaries are spreading um, across the globe in different languages throughout the world. We are all born, and we've said this before, I've heard Justin say this, we're on a level field. We're on a level field at the foot of the cross. doesn't matter what you're your skin color is. Doesn't matter who your parents were. Doesn't matter how much money you got in your pocket. Doesn't matter what your education is. Doesn't matter your moral track record. We're all at level ground. We all need Jesus. We all need his sacrifice for our sin. We all need to trust in him. And where's that trust come? The trust is a gift. Hebrews 12, 2. Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. He gives us this gift of faith. If you have a seed of faith, that is a gift of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. And by trusting in him for your forgiveness of sins, all the past is erased. Now, God still knows everything, sure. But he sees you through the, the lens of his son, Jesus. And you are forgiven. And you are loved. You are accepted. You are redeemed. You are bought. You are purchased. You are his. You are in him because of faith. And I think this is the kind of thing that he's holding on to that he wants to have a better grasp of because he's not there yet. 
He still wants to get a better grasp of it. He's as, as high as we put him on the pedestal. He doesn't have it yet. He wants to know Christ. I want to, I want to know him better. I want to know him better. I want to gain him. I picture Paul in the prison cell thinking, how am I going to face those who hate me tomorrow? How will I meet those who don't like what I have to say? How will I keep preaching the message to people who are going to reject it and reject it and reject it? How will I be bold if I'm beaten one more time? What's going to motivate him to keep the faith? He had a hard life. In the second letter to the Corinthians, he tells us a little bit about his life. Here's just his, he just lists this. I'm, I'm talking like a madman. This is what Paul says. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes, less one, so 40 minus one, 39. He's been beat 39 times with a lash. Five times that happened. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once here in Philippi. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys. In danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, Danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, and toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, and hunger and thirst, often without food, cold and exposure. And apart from the other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. And that's not all. The, chapter, the next chapter, he's, he, he gets personal. Here's my list. And now, personally, I, I had a thorn. I had this thorn in my flesh was was given to me, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited, to being prideful. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. And what does God do? Does he take it away? No. Some of you know the story. He doesn't take it away. Did, why does he tell us all this? Is it to get sympathy? No. Is it because through suffering, we, we become righteous? No, that's another work. No, he's meeting Jesus, though, through it. And this is what Jesus says to him personally. The Holy Spirit revealed this to him in chapter 12, verse 9 of 2 Corinthians. Hey, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. We can face our weakness in those difficult moments because we have a sovereign God who reigns supreme, who ordains even the difficulties for our good. In strength and weakness, we can have faith to persevere. In the darkness, in our weakness, you see God's power will shine brighter. In the darkness, in our weakness, God's power will shine brighter. Have you seen that in your life? I know for me personally, it's in those moments where I'm at my lowest, where I am like closest to God. I see him. I need him, but I see him. Has that happened to you? Paul contrasts all his worldly status and accomplishments with gaining Jesus. He wants to have Jesus. I don't, know, I don't care what the cost is. I want to gain Jesus. I want to be found in him. And now in verses 10 and 11, he contrasts knowing Jesus with his suffering and, and with this, this future resurrection thing. He, he's, he's looking forward to a resurrection. There, this suffering will only last for so long. Look at verses 10 and 11. Paul's motivation or goal was to know Jesus. Look at verse 10. He wrote, He counted all things as rubbish or loss so that I may know him. 
And this knowledge of God isn't like, you know, if I met you today, we know each other, but this is like a knowledge of we're going fishing together. We're going to the store together. We're talking and haven't, you know, eaten together. This is an intimate knowledge uh, that, that really knows each other. He wants to know God. He wants to know Christ in, in a way that isn't just on an information or abstract or factual base, basis. Paul also, in verse 10, says he wants to know the power of his resurrection. This is an already but not yet reality. We can know the power. We can know, in a sense, God's power right now. We can see his power right now, but we will one day know his resurrection. The Bible says one day the dead will rise, and we will be reunited. If we pass away before that day, our bodies will be reunited with our souls in heaven. And we have an existence in heaven where there is no tears, there is no pain, there is no sadness, there is no sickness, there is no sin. We have a hope of the resurrection, of a heaven, of perfection. And Paul's looking forward to that day. What motivates him? He wants to know Christ. He wants to see his power. He wants to know that resurrection, that fellowship of, of, of sufferings, and know the resurrection. He says, he says as much in chapter 1, verse 23. In, in chapter 1, verse 23, Paul is sharing with the Philippians about his struggles. And he says this, there's this little phrase in there, my desire is to depart and be with Christ for that's far better. And I, I, I've got a friend, and I, I myself, we were talking about this passage this week. There's times where it's like, man, to be with Jesus, to be in heaven, will be so much better than this life. And maybe you felt that way. And I, I think in those prison cell moments where he's just like racked with pain, racked with fear, racked with frustration, he's like, yeah, to depart and be with Christ would be far better right now. But God has a mission for him. And so he's going to follow Christ wherever he leads. And he wants the church, he wants the church to have this, this kind of vision, this, this telescoping vision where, where you see Christ, you want to know Christ, you want to know his power, you want to look towards that resurrection day, that heavenly re- reunion with Christ. And, and he prays a prayer that kind of, ex- that, that, that asks for God to make this real to, his pe- to the people in Ephesus in chapter 1 of Ephesians. And I'm going to read part of it, and then I'll reread part of it. We'll have it up, up here, but this is the prayer. Ah, he tells them in his prayer, I don't cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, he may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what's the hope to which he's called you. And what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards you who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead? Let me read that part again. Do we have it? Projected verses, uh, the last part of uh, 1, 16 through 20. He wants them that they may know what is the hope to which he's called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead? He wants them to know that power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in them right now to help them. It helps us overcome sin. It helps us be at peace and live in unity and harmony with another. It helps us follow him when the things are difficult, when the path is hardened. 
Paul wants to share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Share in his sufferings. He wants to share in his sufferings. Is that a little odd to you? To share in his sufferings. <laughs> Do you want to share in his sufferings? I'd rather not suffer, personally. What's he getting at? Is he just suffering to suffer? Paul left Philippi when they asked him to. He had, this, he had like this card he could play when he was, under, when he was uh, in prison. When he was in prison, he had the card that he's a Roman citizen. And when you don't treat a Roman citizen like you treat a slave, or you don't treat a Roman citizen like you treat another, like a Macedonian or a Grecian or whoever, you know, whatever your nationality, you have, that, you have that card. He played that card. So he didn't suffer, he didn't run into suffering for suffering's sake. What he did is he followed Jesus wherever it would take him. Will we? Will we follow Jesus wherever that takes us? Sometimes he prunes us. Sometimes he, he calls us to say no to something we want. Sometimes he invites us into something that's challenging. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than receive, and in following him, there's, there's an opportunity where we're weak, he can be strong, and we can see his power made perfect in our weakness, and our joy can be complete in a way that in us trying to do it in our own strength doesn't happen. The following phrase in the chapter 3 helps interpret where he's getting at. He wants all these things that he may gain, by any means possible, attain the resurrection of the dead. Now this ESV uses any means. The New Living Translation, I really like how they bring it out. There is this sense of humility here, where he doesn't know where he's going down the road. I mean, he doesn't know his path fully. He's humbly following the Lord. In this moment, I trust in Christ. I trust in Christ. I'm not going to be presumptuous. He's saved by grace alone and Christ alone, not by something he's doing. The New Living Translation takes this verse and pulls some of that uncertainty out of it, um, I don't know if I, we projected this verse, but this is how it, let's see, does it say it? Yeah, it's the, this is the New Living Translation of it. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that w- one way or another, I'll experience the resurrection from the dead. And again, suffering is not the path by which we, we are righteous or we're saved. It's the path that God might have us on. We're saved by faith alone in Christ alone. But he is looking forward to that day. And that is helping him, motivate him, help him in those moments where they're really difficult. Therefore, what do we see Paul's motivation when the going got tough? What kept him in going, following the Lord when he was in prison? What spurred him on on his mission to the Gentiles? He wanted to know Jesus, right? He wanted to know the power of Jesus. He wanted to share in the experience of Jesus. He wanted to become like Jesus. He wanted to be with Jesus. He wanted Jesus, do you? Do I? Do I want Jesus like Paul wanted Jesus? Do I want to know Jesus? You know, Christianity isn't about a decision we made 20 years ago. It's not about church attendance, although I'm really happy we're here. Um, it's not about Christianity isn't about reading your Bible, although I think it's good to read your Bible. It's good to go to church. It's not about abstinence from sin. That's a good thing as well. Christianity is about believing right now that Jesus is our Savior and not our work, not our effort. Do you believe? Do you want him? 
Do you want to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings and become like him in his death? Following him isn't easy. It can be scary, especially when it means sacrifice. Yet it's the best decision we can ever make. It reminds me of what David Sunday uh, shared with us, this verse from John. Jesus is talking to his disciples before he's, he's going to the cross, and he says this, Truly, truly, in John chapter 12, verse 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Jesus loved us to death so that we might love others to death. Whoever would keep his life will lose it. Whoever hates his life will keep it. This is, this is, the Bible talks about an upside-down kingdom. Jesus models the great reversal. In dying, we live. and giving up, we gain. Paul sacrificed family, friends, money, prestige, popularity, even his life to spread the message of the cross. They, if they killed him, here's the, the good news for him. If they kill him, he goes to be with Jesus, which he, he wants to do that, right? He wants to go to be with Jesus. And if they don't, he gets to spread the gospel. Just so more people can hear about Jesus. It's, it's a beautiful thing either way. He will obtain the resurrection of the dead. It's a fact. You can't kill a Christian for good. They will rise again. God called Paul to be a missionary to the Gentiles, to share in this fantastic message. He's, Paul sought to take the gospel where no one had ever gone before. That was his specific tailored call. And we all have a different call in life. The benefit is to follow Jesus, to know Jesus, to, to see Jesus, to feel him, see his power at work in us. Can you join Paul in wanting to know him and experience him? Do you want more of him? Do you want him to control your life? Do you genuinely value him over all other worldly pleasures and trinkets? The missionary Jim Elliott said, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. What might God be asking us to give up? Where might God be asking us to go? Will we? Will you? I think there's many examples of you and Others in our church who have given up and followed. And they've done such an exemplary job praying and giving and serving. It's been wonderful getting to know our body. Where is he calling you to now? Is there something he's calling you to give up now? Experientially, you can start today seeking Jesus, to know Jesus. He died for you to turn to him and Believe in him. And Paul devoted himself to, to know him. How do we know God? Well, we go to the Bible. Jesus and God are revealed in the Bible. We read the Bible. You can know God today by reading your Bible and hearing him speak to you. How do we know God? Paul devoted himself to prayer and called the, the, the disciples to devote themselves to prayer. What is prayer? It's talking to God. You can talk to God. You can talk to God. You can know him through talking to God. How do we know him? 
by following him, obeying him. Paul followed him. And when he came to those points where he is, he is broken, he appealed to God and saw God's power made perfect in weakness. And as you follow him, you'll, you'll see that too. You'll see that too. You'll know him experientially through service. Much more could be said about knowing him. Be in your Bibles. Talk to God. Follow Jesus. There are other ways. Those are key. What would it look like for you to follow Jesus? To seek Jesus today? Let's consider that. What would it mean for you to count this world as rubbish? And him as everything. What is the Holy Spirit saying? We believe that God is here. God is in our midst. Wherever two or more are gathered, he is there in our midst. What is he saying to you? Let's just quiet our hearts and consider that quietly for a a few moments in prayer. Let me encourage you, if you didn't finish that thought, that prayer, to finish it today, write that down and take, take a step to, in that direction. For me, I, I actually preached this message up at Sawyer and had an idea, I'm going to do this. I'm gonna, I was going to do some worship th- with my, my family. And it, it took a while. It took to the midweek, and I thought, oh, I could... Account. And just, there's so many eruptions came. And interruptions will come from you listening to the Holy Spirit. Don't let an interruption hinder you from following Jesus. Pursue him, brothers and sisters. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you so much for speaking to us, for being here in our midst, for calling us brothers and sisters in you, for saving us and redeeming us and forgiving us. Thank you for this community of faith, Lord. We want to follow you wherever you lead, whatever the cost, and where we we struggle with even admitting that or wanting that. Lord, I pray you'd overcome our wants and help us want what you want. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. If you'd like more information about Sawyer Highlands Church and Converge Community Church and the service times for both campuses, please visit our website at www.sawyerhighlands.org. Until next time, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope.